grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you. Find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called In This We Trust as Pastor Sean will give you practical advice and biblical wisdom when it comes to your finances. With the bottom line being, are you trusting God with everything? And the challenge is that what if you decide to join God in His plan to set your heart free from the fear of financial worry? It all begins with trust. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The name of the message is called A Heart Set Free. Pastor Sean is teaching from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and 3. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. We are continuing the series that we started called In This We Trust. And we're talking about the issue of trust as it relates to our resources, because that's such an area of challenge. It's a constant barrage, all kinds of mixed feelings, fears, guilt, shame, all the stuff that goes with it because it's so close to us. And last week we looked at a beautiful but really challenging passage from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Father knows what you need, and he'll care for you. Seek first the kingdom. Remember, the big idea was financial freedom begins by deciding who you trust. Financial freedom begins by deciding who you trust. And we saw, really, beyond even financial, that freedom is found in trusting your life into the Lord's care. Trust his intentions. He wants good for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. He wants you to have freedom. He wants your life to have purpose. Trust his competency. We saw how people say, well, yes, I'll trust my life to God, but when it comes to like my money and my business and my stuff, I, I trust the experts, implying that there's any expert more capable than the Almighty. And we need to trust him as our provider, actually put our life in his hands. Now, one of the things as I've as I always think about this, is just in my own journey, growing up as a kid in a family that played polo, I found myself up close, probably closer than most get to have the opportunity, with some of the wealthiest people in the world. And if you were to take your cue from pop culture or from media or from any of the things that we look at, you'd think these people should have been the most joyous, fulfilled, content people on the face of the planet. They could have what they wanted, they could do what they wanted, they could go where they wanted, and they could do it all in style. But the fact is, they weren't, by and large, and I mean, there's always exceptions, and there were, but by and large, they were not more fulfilled, they were not more joyful. In fact, as I look more closely, their marriages were not better, their families were not closer, they didn't raise better children or have better relationships with their children. Their friendships were not more authentic and lasting. In fact, friendships were a challenge because there's always that fear, that little concern, wait, does this person want relationship with me because of my resources. They were not more generous. They did not seem happier. In fact, it was often just the opposite. Generally speaking, the wealthy that I had a chance to observe up close seemed more fearful, often mistrusting, somewhat isolated, cold, and sad than pretty much any other group that I knew. In my own observation, Okay, this is where I came, what I walked with. I came to view wealth as an obstacle to be overcome in the pursuit of joy and fulfillment. When you stop and think about it, remember what Jesus said. I think that's what he was talking about, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle 
than for that. It's because of the heart stuff that happens. And maybe you've felt that way. Have you ever seen money or the pursuit of money destroy relationships, tear a family apart? Have you ever seen it lead to someone do foolish and harmful things? And what you thought should have been a blessing really turned out to be a curse. Why is that? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, because I think Solomon attacked this question, and he did it. He attacked it almost like a scientist. Okay, the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote about his pursuit. And he says, I tried it all. He, it's like an experiment. I tried, I sought wisdom. I sought pleasure. I sought achievement. And the summation is, and what I found was vanity. It was all in vain. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and that's where we're going to start, I'll pick up at verse 18. He kind of is starting to share some of these conclusions. And look what he says. It's interesting. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who'll come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. It's in vain. He's dealing with his own mortality. He's saying, I could do whatever, but at some point, I'm going to have to leave it to who knows who. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun. You're like, wow, that's pretty dark. This is your feel-good message for the week, folks. This is a dirty little secret. And this is one of the things I've observed. For most people who don't consider themselves rich or maybe who are still struggling, kind of climbing the ladder, but, but seeking riches, they don't know yet the secret that those who are at the top know. See, they at least have the hope that if I, if I get more and if I get successful and if I get this path, they have the hope that maybe that'll bring fulfillment. Then I'll have peace. Then I'll be okay. Then everything will be right with the world. The people who've actually gone to the top of the ladder and who are there and they find themselves and go, I have more money than anybody I know. I can do whatever I want. I have all this resource. They know the dirty little secret. I'm still me. I'm still not fulfilled. It's still, there's this emptiness. There's this something I'm missing. At least those who are in the pursuit have the false hope. And that's what Solomon is talking about. He says, I turned out, gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun. Because sometimes a person who's toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of his heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. He says, I sought these things. And this is Solomon. His wealth and his wisdom were legendary. He sought them and he achieved them better than most would ever. They'd never even come close. And he said, all I found was sorrow and despair. It's vanity. Because he's dealing with his own mortality. saying, it doesn't matter what I do. Someday I'm going to leave it. I'm going to die. And what's interesting is, so he's talking about his mortality, and then he has this passage, you remember, in chapter 3, which is right after this. He comes right on the heels of this kind of discussion. He shares that very well-known, famous passage where we, he talks about time. Everything, for everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then he gives that famous list. The birds wrote a song about it. You've heard it at weddings and funerals. It's, there's a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant Time to pluck up, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. And he concludes by saying there's a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. 
something about his mind is all of this he's being drawn to time. And that's extremely interesting when you see what follows. Because he comes back from that little conversation about time, that little detour on time. He comes back to this conversation. And look what he says in chapter 3, verse uh, 9 is where we're going to pick up. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. God is the one who gives us creative work and expression to channel this, the giftings and the energies that he's given us. Look at this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything is beautiful in its own time. And then he says this, and I want you to make note of this. Pay very close attention to this phrase. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He's put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, he's given us this pull, this desire for eternity, but yet we live in such a way that we can't really experience all of that right now. Because understand, we live one moment at a time and that's it. That's all we have. Okay, 10 minutes ago when we were worshiping, that's a memory right now. Okay, you can't go back there. You can't change that. It's just a memory. That's all it is. It's gone. 10 minutes from now, we don't even know what's going to happen. Okay, that's a vision. That's a hope. That's a possibility. All we have for sure is right now. That's how we walk through time. One moment at a time. And then it's gone. That's what Solomon's saying. He's put eternity in our hearts, and yet we experience it a moment at a time. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we would hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's gift to man is his work and the busyness to be about his work and to find joy in that. And he's made everything beautiful in its proper time. But that fascinating phrase, he has put eternity in man's heart. It's, I think it's really interesting that Solomon is wrestling with his own mortality. And he says, but yet there's eternity in my heart. I'm seeking all these things, but yet I'm going to leave them to someone else. And there's eternity in my heart. Something's, something's missing. There's this tension that is there between living in a temporal world, but having an eternal heart. We live in a temporal world with temporal things, temporal pursuits, but we have, we were made for, made with an eternal heart. And see, that's where things become a problem because things are all temporary. The stuff that we go after, the stuff that we we strive for, the stuff that we try to acquire, money, all of it, it's all temporal. And see, when temporal things get their tentacles into an eternal heart, bad things happen. That's the problem. That's the despair. That's why Solomon's talking about that. When temporal things become the object of affection in an eternal heart, there's nothing but sorrow, despair, and brokenness at the end of that road. Because they're incompatible. Fundamentally incompatible. You see, in the world that we live in, there are only a few things that are eternal, and we know what they are. God, His Spirit. Things that are done for Him. Those are eternal. Those belong in our heart people, the relationships that we, because people have an eternal soul, a spirit within them. Those are eternal. Those are the things that it's okay to have in our heart. All this temporal stuff, it becomes a real problem when it gets its claws in the flesh of this eternal heart that God has given us. 
And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called A Heart Set Free. The series is called In This We Trust, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer, but I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message of Heart Set Free. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. Solomon would say, when that's the case, you are working outside of the created order, outside of reality. And that's where we kind of stumble on this very powerful biblical concept called stewardship. See, stewardship, the understanding that God is the one who owns all this stuff, and what it does is it breaks what I call the illusion of ownership. Ownership is basically an illusion. Look what the scripture says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. That's just true. It's all his. And here's how I relate to all the stuff that is God's. This is what Job taught us. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, everything that I have, all that I will possess is a 70, 80, 90-year loan, depending on how long I live. That's it. It's a loan. Your business, one day, like Solomon, you're going to find, I'm going to leave it to someone else. I don't know what they'll do with it. I'll have no say over what they'll do with it. That's it. If you're building a business empire, God bless you. But it's just a stewardship thing. You're going to leave it someday. That's just a fact. Your home, you know this. For most of us, Someone lived in it before us, and someone will live in it after us. Lori and I built a house last year. It's great. It's fantastic. We love it. But the land was there before we got there. We understand that. And it'll be there long after we're gone. The house, if we did a good enough job building it, okay, someone else will live in it after us. That's just true. It's all a 70, 80-year loan. That's the idea behind stewardship. It aligns you with reality. You know, we, we laugh about how you can't fit much in a casket, so, you know, you can't, can't have your stuff. You can't take it with you because you can't fit much in a casket. Dudes, even the suit you, they bury you in, okay, that's staying. It's a good thing because they're usually ugly suits. I don't know why they do that, but it's, you know, one final spite, okay? But this, even the suit, the dress, whatever they bury you in, that's staying. It's all temporal. See, stewardship is the understanding that I am caring for things that ultimately belong to the Lord. 
I care for them for a short time. This is one of those, I talk about core spiritual ideas. This is one of them. This is a core spiritual principle, stewardship. It is an alignment with reality. Last week we talked about trusting and God is faithful to be our provider. That's a core idea. He is trustworthy. He cares and he is trustworthy. This week we're talking about stewardship. It is a core idea. I am caring for things that I will one day leave. And I want to say that with stewardship comes what we call the gift of detachment. The gift of detachment, it removes the emotional attachment that I have to things that I cannot keep. And what it does is it extracts them from my heart while allowing them to remain in my hand. Takes them from my heart. They don't belong there. Temporal things don't have a healthy place in an eternal heart. Stewardship, the idea of stewardship, that understanding, takes those things from my heart while allowing them to be in my hand and be used and cared for. They're my father's. And so I am a steward of his things. So the question is, we can, I think we can all see logically, well, that makes sense. How do we get there? How do we get from here where that stuff is in my heart and I've been trained that way and I've grown up that way? How do we get to where I truly see it differently and I enjoy the freedom or the detachment of stewardship? Well, you remember what Jesus said last week in Matthew chapter 6. He said this idea of where we lay up treasure is a matter of your heart, a matter of your vision, and a matter of what you serve. In that whole passage, that long passage of Matthew 6, talked about the birds, talked about the flowers, talked about seek first the kingdom, talked about Father's going to care for you. He only gives really three instructions. The first one is do not be anxious. Okay, do not be anxious. Do not worry, do not fret. That's what we say. Father's going to care for you. The second was seek first the kingdom of God. That's what he concluded with. But the, the first one I want to talk to you is actually the first one that's mentioned. It's in the opening section. Look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Look what he says. Now, this is the negative. This is what not to do. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Here's the positive. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. There's the command. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's such an easy verse just to kind of breeze over. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because we, we all sit and go, oh, nice, that, that's a very nice thought. I, I, that's, that seems so true. I believe that. The fact is, usually when we breeze over that verse, we're not reading it correctly. We actually are reading it incorrectly. We think it says where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Because, I mean, that's how, we, that's how we deal with things. We understand that. We talk about our values, our core values. So you want to know someone's values, look at their checkbook and look at their calendar. That's what you value, what you invest your money and you invest your time in. You know, because where your values are, there is going to be your money and your time investment. Well, we understand that, and there's truth to that. So we automatically read that and go, oh, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Wherever my heart is, that's what I'll invest in. And that's what we read, and there's truth to that. That's not a bad thing. It's just not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus says is the exact opposite. He flips it. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And that, I want to suggest to you, is a powerful, powerful principle. See, if, if temporal money, temporal things being caught up in my heart is the problem, I want to suggest you temporal money, temporal things is the solution as well. What he is saying is you can train your heart, you can change your heart by directing your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, you can direct your treasure and train your heart. This is the fix This is biblically how we deal with this problem of a heart that has been overrun by temporal things. Your heart follows your treasure. So direct your heart 
train your heart by directing your treasure. I want to suggest God has given us a gift, a gift to help us in this called the covenant of the tithe. The covenant of the tithe. It is a powerful biblical covenant that I have seen be transformative and change the lives of countless people as they have used this biblical teaching, this biblical instruction and principle and allowed the Lord to transform their heart and cause them to totally see the world, see God, and believe differently because of the covenant of the tithe. The covenant of the tithe, some people go, oh, when you talk about the tithe, that's, a, that's, a, that's under the law. That's, that's, that doesn't apply to us. That is absolutely biblically wrong. Just not true. The first time the tithe, and in its proper sense, is actually mentioned is in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14, verse 20. Abraham has gone and rescued his nephew Lot, and a bunch of other people from Sodom, and, and there's a bunch of spoils of war and all this, and he meets this very unusual person. We're only mentioned here in Genesis, and then he's referred to in the book of Hebrews. His name is Melchizedek. He's called the priest of the Most High God. He's also called the king of Salem. Very unusual person. A lot of people believe it's a pre-incarnation manifestation of Christ. But regardless, this Melchizedek comes, and here's what Melchizedek says. Blessed be God, Most High, who delivered your enemies in your hand. Then Abraham gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. A tithe. That's what a tithe means. It means one-tenth. Moses, when God gave him the law, wrote this down. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. This is a biblical principle that was encoded with God's people. In fact, you remember Cain and Abel where somehow we don't even know why Cain's offering wasn't received, but they brought the produce of their work as an offering to the Lord. This is a biblical principle that has been long before. We're going to talk more. We'll read some other scriptures about the tithe, but I want you to see in the New Testament, Jesus addressed the tithe. He said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. He's actually bringing a word of correction because they have used the tithe as an excuse to really fall down on some big heart issues. What do you teach to the law and Pharisee? You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. In other words, they, they would never not tithe because of its importance. He said, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Think of things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus says you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. The Apostle Paul, when he's establishing these churches he talks about this. Look, look at what he says. He says, now, this is 1 Corinthians 16, 1-3. Now, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. These are Gentile believers. He doesn't use the word tithe, but he's talking about the tithe, this proportional income. This proportional giving, a a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. This idea was consistent before the law, all throughout the scriptures. See, the tithe is a tenth. It was for the care of the priests, the ministry of worship for the house of God. They funded worship celebrations that were a critical part of Israel's development. It was for the poor and needy benevolence ministry. Some people try to dismiss the law saying, uh, just dismiss the tithe saying, well, it was just the law and that, that we're not under the law like that anymore. And they're wrong. Abraham was before the law. Cain and Abel gave, brought their gifts before the law. This was encoded in how God dealt with his people. I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, 
He said, Abraham commenced the tithe. Moses commanded it. Jesus commended the tithe. Paul continued the tithe. And who the heck do you think you are to cancel the tithe? I want to stop and just take a moment and just address kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to this. Because there have been a lot of people who have experienced bad teaching in regard to this issue. A lot of times it's been used for manipulation or a, a club to beat you over the head with. I want to say on behalf of ministers everywhere, I'm sorry if that has been your experience. It's not supposed to be that way. That is not the way the Word presents it. That is not the way the Word presents our Heavenly Father. And this is one of the most transformative, powerful principles in all of Scripture. And I've seen so many people's lives radically change and their faith skyrocket because of beginning to walk in this principle and trust the Lord in this area. And so I, I, as your pastor who loves you and cares about you, I have to share this with you, and I'm kind of excited to share it with you because I know what God has in store if you haven't been walking in this principle and you begin to. See, here's the main point. If you're taking notes, write it down. The covenant of the tithe is God's gift to set and keep my heart free. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, In This We Trust, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.